going to talk about everything to do with spies. But his code name wasn't 007, it was called Intrepid James. Bye. Yeah, I don't do dirty, not really. Welcome back to another episode of the Captain Bagrat Podcast, where we're on a mission to fight boring news about Asia and Australia. It's a tough job, but you know, someone's got to do it. As always, we're recording from downtown Chinatown, and today we've got someone very special. I've got James Bai <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast talking about 008 James. No, no, 008 Bai. James Bai. Yeah, yeah, that's only by reputation. <laughs> Ooh, so Mr. Bai, um, you're going to talk about everything to do with spies and incompetence in that area, right? Well, I mean, as far as it's possible, you know, <laughs> one of the big problems when you talk about actual real-life spies is so much of it is kept under lock and key, you know, under oh. the National Secrets Acts and things like that. It's all oh, for intriguing. security purposes. Well, you have a vast knowledge on this, so am I... Uh, am I I'm going to have to ask you, so are you a 007 fan? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love a good uh, 00 film. Uh, I think probably, though, my still favourite is probably still Casino Royale. I think that oh, yeah? came out really at a time when people were really rethinking what a good spy film should have and yeah. that one really... And that was when um, Daniel Craig came out for yeah, the first time, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to remember now because he's been doing the job for more than 10 years but a lot of people had a real problem with him when he first took up the bomb job because he was the first non-brunette yes um and he wasn't known for being like charming or, or cool per se yeah he, he's more of a brute style yeah yeah he's yeah. really known a bit more as a meathead at the time meathead so, yeah. yeah oh well there's a lot of meatheads i know a lot of meatheads i'm, I'm sure they can associate with him mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. well to get us started i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a fast five yeah let's go with it madam chan right i think you already answered the first question but anyway who's yeah. your favorite bond my favorite bond is probably daniel craig yeah i, th- I don't think you can actually beat him <laughs> For, for the just average quality of his films, yeah, I think when when you start from Casino Royale and you work your way even to like the worst of them, which I think is probably Spectre, the most recent. One. Uh, I think everyone said that. I, I don't even remember it. Well, there it is. His average quality is very very high. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, how do you like your martini, by Jimmy? By oh, so. <laughs> I don't mean to sound super pretentious when I say this, but I actually have a whole thing. It is a gin martini uh-huh. with a twist, uh-huh. shaken or stirred. Ooh, don't no mind preference. Either, okay. But preferably Tanqueray 10 gin. Oh, right. Yeah. Do you have olives yeah. or you prefer no olives? Well, with a twist is a lemon twist. Mm. So, yeah, I don't do dirty. Not really. I mean, I, I, it might just be my palate. You know, maybe yeah, maybe your it's, Asian palate. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, <laughs> probably the, the Chinese uh, extraction, but I prefer my savouries to be savoury and and my sweets to be sweet. And when it comes to alcohol, mm. I, I don't think you want it to be salty. too savoury. Yeah. yeah, you're more of a zesty type. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But if, if you've ever had really a Bloody Mary, it doesn't quite work. No, I kind of feel sick after a Bloody Mary. Yeah. yeah <laughs> too tomato much tomato juice. juice. Exactly. exactly. All right. Are you a lover or a fighter? Well, <laughs> depends who you ask, I think. Uh, I probably have to concede I'm probably more of a lover in the sense of I prefer to find the compromise than uh, trigger happy. On the nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Favorite Bond girl? Ooh, that is tricky. I'm just gonna say straight out of the gate, 
from Casino Royale, Vesper Berlin. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. Ava Green, she goes toe for toe mm. with him on the kind of the witty repartee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's really the one who breaks him down. And then she's also the one that, like, truly breaks his heart, you know? Yeah, it's so sad. She completely fooled him. She did. She yeah. did. Although, fun story about Wes- Vesper Lynn mm. is if you say it fast enough, her name is actually uh, a synonym of West Berlin. Oh, never thought of that. And, I mean, you know. West Berlin. West Berlin. Oh, yeah, it does. And so the whole idea, especially in the book, mm. which is was published in like 1953, I think. Oh, so the book came out first. Yeah, yeah. Casino Royale is canonically the very first ever Bond story. And Thank you for the fact. Funnily enough, the movie, yeah. Casino Royale, which is very, very late in the series, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, was made so so late that a lot of the kind of wordplay and the specific references don't quite make sense okay. anymore. Okay. But, of course, you know. They adapted all that. That's it. That's I mean, it. surely back in the 50s they didn't have a car that was able to no, um, no. <laughs> register your heartbeat. Well, look like at it this way. Uh, Le Chiffre wasn't playing with terrorist money back then. It was mm. very much... Communist. Communist. I was going to say communist money yeah. back then. But the whole idea of the Vesperlind, mm. West Berlin is because it was to reflect someone who had conflicting loyalties. Yeah. And West Berlin, which back oh. in the day was encircled by communist East Germany, yes. had conflicting loyalties. Excellent. There yeah. you go. So, fun story. Last question. Go on. I know you're Asian 008 today. <laughs> Asian, just Asian this, 008. Just for background. Just so for let's Captain. say they decide to, you know, have some sort of derivative to James Bond and have mm. a 008. Mm. Who would be the ultimate 008? Who could play the 008? Honestly. Out of the movie he, world. He is, he's only come out into the mainstream recently, right? But Henry Golding, the man ah, already yes. speaks like Bond. That's true. He is handsome to boot. He is, yes. And... Yeah, if he gets really well used by mm. Hollywood and not sadly for just kind of semi good novelty sake, yeah. yeah. I don't see why you don't hire him. Yeah, so he would be good. He is very good looking. He's very charming and he's got that, you know, the, the English accent, which is very Absolutely. attractive. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. So now educate me on some incompetencies. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's ironic you, you start with this idea of. of thinking that a great spy, and and maybe in a way, depending on how you define the word great, Bond is great in that he is an icon, Mm -hmm. but he's not actually very, very good at what would be traditionally called spycraft or tradecraft, as it's known. He seems to be more of a field operator. Is that the word? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I, I say this as just kind of an enthusiastic amateur. I I like to read about the the topic. I like to read about how it plays into the big world issues Mm. in the Mm. sense that, you know, spies almost always are employed mm. to, to back up a political agenda or mm-hmm. a country's best interests, you know? So, so is a spy uh, always associated with a government uh, or is it, are spies also uh, associated with corporates or are spies also linked with any, like, potentially bad people as we see as terrorist cells? Yeah, look, I mean, yeah. you, you could go the, all the way around. Okay. I mean, a spy in, in and of itself doesn't have to be associated with a nation state. Mm. I mean, it has become that way. From the movies, yeah, exactly. <laughs> from 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 pop culture, but you know there are there are operatives, there are spies associated with companies, corporate espionage. Mm. I'm sure you've heard that term. You'd have to think, even going back into the old history, uh, a lot of people in your listening audience might not know this, but um, 
Jesuit priests who, who were Catholics sent mm. out to Asia to convert people to Catholicism okay. back in the day, they were among the very first ever industrial spies. And what I mean by that is they went to places like Japan and China mm. and the Philippines mm. and they smuggled out trade secrets. So like the very first uh, silkworm eggs, because silk used to be a monopoly only controlled by China, right? Yeah. It's what ever since like Roman, ancient Roman yeah. times, that's how China made huge profits because it was the only place in the world that yeah. sold silk. That's right? right. But the first commercial silkworms mm. that got to Europe were actually kind of like eggs smuggled out by Jesuit priests. So this is like stealing IP and the actual biological yeah. artifact. Yeah, yeah. I ironically, <laughs> right, because these days everyone talks about IP being stolen in the China direction. <laughs> Once upon a time. And and you could probably say this about things like gunpowder and certain kinds of... Uh, Marco Polo with pizza and pasta. Well, well let's not wait into that dispute. That, that's Sorry, probably, we did an episode on that and I'm we're like, sure, yeah, yeah, Chi sure. the Chinese came, came first when it came to noodles uh, yeah, and pasta yeah, and pizza. Yeah, yeah. I think that's prob I mean, we certainly came first with porcelain, right? So I oh, the Ming Dynasty. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, the very first kind of corporate spies mm -hmm. were, in fact, Catholic priests. But <laughs> they, they were doing it for business purposes. It wasn't mm -hmm. there for necessarily for a country or mm. maybe you know, Christendom broadly. But, yeah, they, they were doing it by, you know, you get in good with the local authorities, mm. you, you figure out where the centres of power are or influence yeah. or, or... Where the money the is. Ideas. Yeah, 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 all the money. And then you just kind of smuggle them out and get them back home. So I, I guess this is my roundabout way of saying, you know, the average amount of mayhem that James Bond... Creates. Yeah, <laughs> just, just naturally generates in his vicinity in any given movie <laughs> makes him actually a terrible intelligence asset because frankly he's not really doing very much intelligent intelligence gathering yeah and he's probably causing a whole number Havoc. of diplomatic hmm. incidents well, worldwide well apparently he is a real person james bond was based off a real person um so ian fleming who ha has the branding for james bond mm -hmm. uh based it off um william stevenson who was canadian born and he back in the the 50s or 40s during yeah. world war ii um so william was um part of the british intelligence for the western hemisphere mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but his code name wasn't 007 it was called intrepid and ian fleming said yeah it's pretty much based on him it's just a highly romanticized version of him absolutely absolutely <laughs> and i think it, it's no surprise to me not not just for the movies mm. which all came out and started coming out in the 60s right but also from the perspective of trying to project an idea of an identity out mm. right that you know britain was basically bankrupt after world war ii and they they did a lot of good work don't get mm. me wrong fighting the nazis there, there was a lot of sort of clear good yeah. versus evil yeah. kind of thinking going on mm. in the world but you could get away with that. You could get away with a certain kind of gallantry, that kind yeah. of gentleman's chivalrous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of that kind of code of conduct, that kind mm. of code of uh, honor mm -hmm. back then. And then things got really, really murky once you got out of World War Two. You know, the Nazis were defeated. Hitler yeah. killed himself. All the What's rest next? of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so you start thinking, oh God, wasn't wasn't everything great when there were clear bad guys and good guys? Then came the communists. Well, that's it. That's it. And so, I mean, this is actually an interesting point, right? Because there's probably an argument to be mm. made, and 
and and this actually leads me into sort of my first real big case study, oh. which is that you know when you're looking at a, at a country which is sort of bankrupt, which doesn't really know mm. what its place is after a conflict as horrible mm. as World War Two. They start having to tell stories about how mm. great they actually are. Okay. You know, it's kind of like make America great again. No, 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 no. Let's, <laughs> let's make Britain great again, yeah. even though we're not really that great. We're bankrupt. We've got huge... Debts. Debts. We've got inequalities mm. across the board. We've got some enemies and too. Yeah, we, we also we have do. some allies. Yeah, yeah, but, you know... Yesterday's best mates who were the Soviet Union are now suddenly our sworn enemies and who suddenly... So is that the reason why the Brits didn't come to save Australia during the Coral Sea War? (laughs) Because they ran out of money and then the Americans had to come and save Australia? There are any (laughs) number of reasons. And one of the probably the broadest ones is, yeah, yeah, the Brits were on the cusp of... You know, being in a really bad position, yeah. facing kind of the Nazi menace in sort of 1940, All right. uh, they, they couldn't afford to come and to defend help Australia the Asia-Pacific because God knows <laughs> they were just struggling to protect uh, yes, London. because the point. Japanese, um, the submarines and stuff, apparently they came all the way into Sydney Harbour. Yeah, 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 yeah. At, yeah. Least, uh, at least on an intelligence gathering. They yeah. didn't bomb anything. No, but, no. But, yeah. They infiltrated, if that's the right word. But I think yeah. this, so. This is this is where my first story is, which is right. sort of when you come to the fifties and the sixties, especially in Britain, mm. you tell stories like about James Bond and how great our intelligence services and are, and how good looking he is, and, and how, how many women he slept that's with. Oh right. yeah, and, and just like you tell a mythology about this so-called gentleman class yeah. of of British civil servant, because don't forget, a spy at the end of the day in Her Majesty's Secret Service is still just. A bureaucrat of sorts, even if he does have a license to kill, and <laughs> quite a lot of venereal diseases. <laughs> I just, I'm, I guess, what I'm saying is, you have to start telling these stories yeah. to kind of compensate for the fact that things aren't quite as rosy or cool mm. as they were. Mm. And so, in the 50s and 60s, especially when you've got this really murky world of yesterday's friends, the mm. Soviets are now today's mortal enemies, mm. and then you've also got this totally new dynamic where Britain is basically the younger sibling in the relationship with America. Mm. You have to start telling these kinds of propagandistic stories of, actually, no, 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 our spies are the coolest. They are the most, yeah, they are (laughs) the sexiest to women. Yeah. And even though most of our spies, yes, have massive drinking problems, it's quite a cool (laughs) thing. You know what I mean? That's a tricky <laughs> So, so, so I, I, I guess this is where we come to what is colloquially known as the Cambridge Five. Oh, tell me, what's the Cambridge Five? So, uh, what I know I, Cambridge is in UK. Yes, yeah. yes, very famous university, yeah. very, very wealthy university, yes. and it, it's traditionally one of the two big universities in in Britain that produces the ruling classes. You mm-hmm. know, the ones who used to be masters of the universe when Britain still ruled the waves. Okay. Back in the day, pre World War Two, of course. Okay. So what this story is basically about is there were these five young guys, four of them who were actually quite close friends, one who was kind of the plus one in the scheme, who throughout the 1930s got recruited by the Soviets who, who who were still kind of like... A hermit state, a bit like North Korea back okay. in the 30s, All where right. no one had real strong diplomatic relationships or economic relationships. How did they pick the these five or well, four or whatever? So this is this is the fascinating thing. Yeah. So these all were young guys who in the 30s were looking over at Germany and Spain and seeing all these fascists 
which was a very new kind of ideology, a new kind of politics, and it was all about, you know, mm. killing Jews, excluding certain minority yeah. groups, and giving all the power to strong men and then rebuilding the army and mm -hmm. conquering mm -hmm. the known universe, right? Mm. They looked over there. They were mostly left-wing leaning, and they said, well, our two-party politics, as it would have been back then, maybe mm -hmm. even three-party politics in Britain at least, they're not talking about this. They're not doing anything about this. Mm -hmm. No one was, was fighting back against the Nazis, the fascists mm -hmm. in either Spain or Italy. But you know who were? on paper, the, the Soviets, because oh, yeah. they're communists, right? Okay. Like, they've got a totally different worldview and, you know, they hadn't worked out that Stalin was a psychopath yet. <laughs> oh, that's so dangerous. So so that's right. So these are young guys, very, very impressionable, mm. very well-educated, and they all come from that kind of gentlemanly class. Mm. And so these guys, they were at Cambridge, they're getting these great educations, they're all kind of very charming. The way... You know, that gentlemanly mm. archetype is meant to be. And one or two of them have these kinds of dark secrets, right? Yeah. Because they were gay. You know, in, in, in that, that would not generation. have been accepted. Well, it Openly wasn't, it anyway. wasn't, right? Yeah. Because, and this is where I get to this point of, 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 you know, putting your best foot forward, telling a certain story about mm. what your national identity is, is, oh, yeah, I, I might sleep with, uh, with, with men, but uh, not, not a, a rugger tugger. I'm not a. I'm not a homosexual. I'm not a. I'm not <laughs> okay, a. Uh, you know, right. I could use a lot of kind of nasty derogatory words for it. But it was this kind of thing of we we, we do that on the side. But yeah. really, you know, we're all masters of the universe, sort of thing. So these young guys, they're they're in. They're at Cambridge. They're getting great educations. They're kind of left wing leaning, and they're thinking no one's doing anything about fascism. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, the Soviets have agents everywhere because mm. they're just trying to find friends, mm. right? They're trying to find allies. And they're also trying to influence other yeah. countries because never forget the Soviet project is to initiate, at least before Stalin changed his mind, revolutions everywhere. The whole idea was we want revolutions mm -hmm. from coast to coast all around the world. So they send out these agents and they say, go find the best and brightest who might be inclined to, to come over, mm -hmm. to help us out. Yeah. And not just that, but they're dedicated to the ideology. They mm. genuinely think mm. communism, whatever your own opinion might be, mm. was a, a net good. It was a way to, to fight back against the failures of capitalism. Yeah. And what's interesting is, of course, this is the 30s, when just after the Great Depression, mm. and it looked... Uh, yeah, By all accounts, that context, the capitalism yeah. is not working. That's right. And it's causing millions of people to be unemployed, can't afford to feed the family. Yeah, that's all true. this misery everywhere, right? And so they all get kind of picked up. And then, because, as I say, they are gentlemen. That's really funny because um, you would expect these five from Cambridge who come from a really high uh, class that they would even worry about the the little people down there who are suffering from the depression. Yeah. So it, yeah. it shows them they're sort of human in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also they. It's it's really hard to to put yourself in the mindset of what the thirties was like, and as well the twenties and the thirties. You know, once once you think about post World War One, the world was kind of divided in this, you know the defeated mm -hmm. and the victorious. But most people were kind of feeling pretty Lousy. shitty. Yeah. yeah, yeah, largely. Yeah. And the great boogeyman, mm. you know, these days we talk about the great boogeyman to some extent being like... Trump. 
authoritarianism <laughs> oh, okay, or, or even terrorism, right? Think about the world we lived in uh, post 9-11 where everyone was worried. They jumped at the shadows at the possibility of a terrorist attack. Mm. Well, in 1920s, even into the 30s, the great fear was communism. Mm. They really worried that and at any time communism was going to come and get you. The red peril, right? That's right. That's right. But much, much more mm. intense than it is now. Mm. So these young guys, they looked around and they said, well, it's not like capitalism's working out for anybody. Mm. And we can see that fascism is doing horrible things over mm. in Germany, mm. Italy, Spain. They're causing all these crimes against you know, young Humanity. people. Yeah, exactly. And so they go, well, let, let's sign up for at least someone who wants to do something about it because mm. God knows our politicians would probably be closer on the left-right spectrum yeah. to wanting to join the fascists mm -hmm. than they did want to join the communists. Mm -hmm. And so these young guys, they got recruited mm -hmm. and then they kind of said, oh, when I was a kid and I believed in communism, oh, that's all forgotten. I was misguided. Mm -hmm. And then they all start infiltrating uh, the highest uh, levels okay. yeah. of British society because they all they all went to, you know, what are called the great public schools, which are private schools yeah. in, in Britain. They all went to tr mostly to Trinity College, which is the richest, mm -hmm. most prestigious college at mm -hmm. Cambridge. And then they all started, because they were all fairly charming, they could all... Well, if they were leaning to um, the, the, the you know, homosexuality, they're, they're bound to be very charming. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, at least one or two of them, right? <laughs> so, so, th so these four guys, I think, you know, it's, it's worth just getting the names out. I mean, the fam most famous one is a fellow by the name of uh, Kim Philby. Mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, rings a bell. Yeah, Kim yeah, Philby. then his kind of... Compatriots were a guy called Donald McLean, Guy Burgess, Anthony Blunt, who actually features as a character in the most recent season of The Crown. I don't know if you've no, watched I haven't that. Seen that yet. And then the fifth guy was a fellow by the name of John Cancross. And so the the core four, McLean, Burgess, Philby, and uh, Blunt, these guys all went their ways and started finding ways to climb society. And so yeah. uh, a couple of them became diplomats. Uh, one Usually, diplomats means you know what I mean. <laughs> well, yeah, but but they they entered what was then considered the most probably the most prestigious mm. postings. Yeah, yeah, well, office, office in, yeah. in British government. I mean, mm. this is just totally on the side. But if you've ever seen any images of the inside of certain buildings in uh, what's called Whitehall, the government district in London. By far the most prestigious and most gorgeous building is what's called the Foreign Office. It used to be called the Colonial and Imperial Office. Oh, and it's because right. that's where all the diplomats came and went, mm. but it was also the place where all those ill-gotten gains from selling opium in Asia and plundering India and setting up sugar plantations all up and down the Americas all the money that came mm. in from that meant that you could build these beautiful marble buildings mm. filled with the most beautiful paintings and, yeah. and carpets and inlaid kind of gold. So and trade, like economy trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what I'm saying hand. is the Foreign Office was mm. a very prestigious posting, mm. so a couple of them got jobs there. Mm. One of them got a job at the BBC. One of them worked as a journalist, and then, because he was a foreign correspondent, mm. started doing side gigs for what was, wasn't yet called the Secret Intelligence Service, mm. but would eventually become 
well, at then it was called MI6, but it would yeah. eventually become the Secret Intelligence Service. Mm. Essentially what James Bond does, yeah. right? He's a member of MI6. Yeah. But he's not a journalist. <laughs> no, no. And so these guys, they just... Mm-hmm. They charmed their way through. They did the job that was in front of them. But all the time, they Side were business. feeding everything <laughs> to the Russians. Oh. And because of who they were, and because I think, you know, these things are deeply cultural, you don't quite understand the access that a guy who's very charming with all the right connections, wears the right ties. Comes you know, from the right family. Exactly. Doesn't get questioned, obviously. Does, doesn't get questioned too much. Yeah. So to the point that one of their handlers back in Russia, yeah. getting all this information from them, yeah. actually at one point thought these guys were betraying the communists, because they said, how how could they be possibly getting this much <laughs> good information without any questions asked? Yeah. And it's because these guys, you know, made friends with ministers, made yeah. friends with... I mean, one of these fellows, Donald McLean, who, who ultimately was the guy who brought them all down in his own way, Donald McLean ended up becoming the, the first secretary of the British embassy in Washington. That's pretty... Big, it's high level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically during, uh, I want to say, 44 to 48, Mm -hmm. which is right at the height of end of World War II, beginning of the Cold War, and when the nuclear arms race started. And it's estimated that a bunch of the information about how the American nuclear program was proceeding Mm. got into Stalin's hands, got into Russia's hands, because this guy... Gave it to them. He was the head... Of the office, you know. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Like, he's not the ambassador, but he's the top guy in... That's to do with the atomic story. research, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I I did research today, and mm. apparently there was a, um, an agent called the Granny Spy. Mm. So during that same period, <laughs> um, so she was also from the UK, mm-hmm. um, and so at the age of 50, she got recruited mm. into service, mm-hmm. and she, ha- she actually physically handed over secret documents relating to the atom- atomic bomb uh, while she was the assistant to the director of the Atomic Research Centre in Britain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So like these guys, <laughs> you know, they they were in these positions where they were passing on information. You couldn't yeah. you couldn't pay to get information this good. I know. And because they were all distributed in this, in the media, yeah. in the government, in the intelligence services. Mm. So the the one who's most famous in in these stories is a guy called Kim Philby, but. Philby is interesting because he was the only spy spy in yeah. the sense that he was not just a spy for the Russians. He actually worked in MI5. Uh, sorry, MI6. So he was a for proper a really spy long spy. time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was like posted uh, in, uh, he, well, put it this way, in September 1941, he was working for a section of MI5 called Section 5, which was responsible <laughs> for offensive counterintelligence. Uh, wasn't he doing that? Yeah. So in, a, in his own way, his job was to look for traitors. Of and he's one he himself. was always the guy. So you can imagine what a time he would have had with these kinds of tasks where it's like, yeah, yeah, look for look for uh, German and Russian moles. If only Alanis Morissette had a song back then, isn't it ironic? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, would be, that would be the way. I mean, even at one point he worked to become the head of another section of MI5 called Section 9, which deliberately dealt with anti-communist efforts. So, I mean, this is this is the kind of quality where you've got this situation where you've got an establishment, yeah. but not just an establishment, you've got all these 
organs of government thoroughly compromised by the people that you trust <laughs> yeah yeah by people who on paper you trust yeah. right and so i mean this is my roundabout way of getting to the conclusion of all this and and how it all came apart <laughs> is truly spectacular and i'll come back to that oh, but what's funny is when you think about a britain as as a as a country in the mm. 50s and 60s mm. they just looked like a joke because it turned out once obviously all the thing collapsed and they started asking themselves tough questions it was like why didn't we find this out earlier it's like oh well we interviewed him and he seemed like a decent chap and he was one of us so yeah his dad and I, we play golf well, i mean his exactly son right. must be okay he must be okay <laughs> or it would be the kind of thing of why did you give him such a sensitive job you know briefing a minister or something it's oh, we, we didn't think we needed to check because his credentials were so good. You know, it's kind of really, really absurd. But And, and this just depends on how much you know about I don't know things. too but, much about. <laughs> uh, at one point, he uh, Donald McLean, who was uh, trying to get into the diplomatic service, yeah. he was at a, a board meeting because you, you had to pass a test and then you had to get interviewed by a board, right? He was asked by one of the panel interviewing him whether he had favoured communism while he was a student. Mm. Because you know, he was part of that club. Well, that's right. He yeah. joined the Communist Party. He right. visited Moscow yeah. in his second year. So think yeah. about when you're a second year uni student and Back you go, then. "What are you doing yeah. visiting Moscow?" And he actually lied. He said, "At Cambridge, I was initially favourable to it, but I am little by little getting disenchanted with it." And his sincerity was so satisfactory that they just kind of waved him through. And so this is where I come. I come just to the fun little point. One of his. Uh, interviewers was Lady Violet Bonham Carter, who was related to, you know, Helena Bonham Carter, whose family is is very establishment, very, very powerful, very, oh, very gosh. wealthy. So because he had the right accent, accent and yeah. he had the right privilege privileges. Yes. No one thought to ask too many questions. And so if you ever get a chance, and I encourage all your listeners as well, Madam Chan, to follow this up, <laughs> it's actually amazing how many red flags there were. So funnily enough, at one of these points, there's actually kind of a... a a, a connection yeah. to Australia. Oh, because wow. Because in 1954, a senior uh, Russian intelligence officer, a guy called Vladimir Petrov, defected to Australia. And mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a whole thing in the 50s. It caused a real red scare in okay. Australia for All right. a while. But he had papers indicating that... These guys. Certain members, <laughs> so Burgess and McLean, yeah. were Soviet agents ever since they were in, in Cambridge. And nobody believed that, well, even I mean, though he had the point, paperwork. What's hilarious about that, so, I mean, the timing is, is particularly important. Yeah. By that point, these guys had already disappeared. So I'll, Disappeared I'll to, as in, like... Yeah, so they basically absconded from Britain. Yeah. And no one knew where they were. Not, like, ostensibly not even their families, but yeah. certainly not their employers. Okay. And then, like, many years later... In 1956, so about three or four years after they disappeared from Britain, yeah. they had a press conference and they said, yeah, we're in Moscow, you guys. <laughs> we're in yeah. Moscow. We're yeah, drinking that's... vodka and laughing our heads off. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> that is so, hilarious. I mean, how it all kind of just collapsed was is, is, an, is a stupid story in and of itself. But essentially what had happened was McLean mm. left Washington as first secretary and he went back home. Yeah. And so one thing that should really be said about all these guys is they had just prodigious drinking capacity. <laughs> like these are men... Can you give an example of how bad that yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so to take um, Philby, Philby and Burgess once, mm. they were so drunk 
coming into the office one day that they were asked to go back home. Like, just just don't bother because they were that drunk even after they'd woken up and come in. (laughs) And then once they got home... The, apparently the maid drink. heard them in the bedroom still drinking, you know. And you could you could ask the psychology about these things. Are these guys deeply unhappy because of the conflicting loyalties? Or did they just really enjoy drinking? Probably a bit of both. Yeah. yeah. I reckon. So l- 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 let me just talk about how it unraveled. That's really. a lot of drinking. <laughs> McLean, so was first secretary in, in Washington. Yeah. And questions were being asked, right? Mm. There were just weird coincidences and certain gaps in information that somehow ended up in Russian hands and everything yeah, was going. Yeah, How's yeah. So he'd been sent home. But his replacement was Philby. <laughs> who who was probably recommend I'd actually recommend Philby to take well, my role. <laughs> very hard to say, right? <laughs> And and you you there there's any number of myths mm. and secrecy and and hearsay stories and rumors about these guys. Yeah. So you never really know the What's firm version on? of the history. Okay. Anyway, so Philby's there, but he's the now the station chief in the embassy mm. in Washington, and the Americans come to him and say, "We've got this evidence that probably shows that McLean is a Russian asset." And he'll be like, nah. Well, okay. <laughs> so very soon after, well, probably even before he got that information, Burgess had yeah. just come to, to Washington to also to be mm. second secretary, mm. ridiculously enough. So they're all just hanging out together, essentially. All hanging Boys out, club. <laughs> if anywhere, in Washington. It's yeah. the coolest place to be doing this kind That's of spy right. work. And Kim got really, really worried because he suddenly was like, oh, God, if if... McLean gets caught because at this point McLean was having was really depressed, drinking a lot, having real difficulties yeah, okay. holding it all together. Yeah. And he was worried if if that gets out, if he gets caught, picked yeah. up, yeah. he's gonna spill the secrets and it's all gonna go yeah. go to shit. So he engineered with Burgess, who was a really close mate. As I say, mm-hmm. they were in Washington getting smashed Every constantly. Night. <laughs> Although, you know, one of the things that should be said was like Burgess was not very popular in Washington because in America you can't get away with being this kind of bombastic English lord who gets drunk a lot and uh, drink drives and, and does oh. weird homosexual things on the weekend, you know. Okay. But but it, that, that's always yeah. just talking about sort of the character of these yeah, guys yeah, yeah. and the hand of that were they were viewed in Washington at the time. So they contrived to get Burgess back to London yeah. to warn McLean. Yeah. And how he does this is he gets three speeding tickets in a British embassy car in one day. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he says, no, no, you can't give me the speeding ticket because I'm a diplomat. Which then gets back to the ambassador, oh, who then, no. embarrassed, has to send him home. <laughs> like, oh. it's kind of... So they came up with this. <laughs> well, they might have, or maybe he was just such a drunken lout <laughs> that he decided, here's one way to get me kicked out of America. ASAP. <laughs> yeah. So he goes back to London, warns McLean, and then they disappear. To Russia, obviously. Well, they didn't know this at yeah. the time. You know, to the point that I mean, there's there's a bit of conflicting evidence on this, but it's quite likely that McLean's wife yeah. knew about all this, but um, she played along with it. So when he didn't come back from wherever his yeah. dinner with Burgess, she says, "Oh, have you seen my husband?" <laughs> and then the Foreign Office says, 
no, we, we, we thought he was with you. And she's like, no, I thought he was with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's this confusion, and no one's really sure where they've gone. Yeah. They've just disappeared. And it turns out, you know, they caught a, 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 a boat to France, then from France, trained to Switzerland, then a... F- Switzerland to Prague, then a flight to Moscow. Back you know, then, they all... didn't have credit cards, right? So they used cash, and you can't trace that. Well, any of yeah. you know, <laughs> it's rumored that they picked up Soviet passports in Switzerland. Oh, so okay. you know, they stopped being <laughs> Guy Burgess and Donald McLean the moment they got to a Soviet embassy, and so they just disappeared off the map, and they they were gone, sort of, in in that period. Suddenly, it was just going wait. Where are they? This is 1951, and and you know there's no Facebook. It's really not that far. That was only like what 70 years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not even. And they they just disappeared, and of course this would have freaked the Americans out because suddenly, just when they thought they'd caught this mole. It's, he disappeared. disappeared. And, of course, it's just yeah. a huge amount of egg on the face for the entire British government, and they just look like absolute tits who <laughs> can't... They couldn't organise a piss-up in a brewery, you know. These guys had these moles under their noses... From very privileged for, families. ...for all this time, at least 20 years yeah. at this point, right? And no-one thought Anything to of check. it. Or to follow up on yeah. all the kind of there, there were at different points there were uh, Russian um, defectors who mm. said, you know, there are at least two moles in the British Foreign Office and one in the BBC, and most people <laughs> were like, no, nah, whatever, forget Can't about be, it. Nah. Yeah. I mean, the kind of information getting back was as detailed as they all went to Cambridge in the thirties, <laughs> and no one thought to double check this. These guys, yeah, yeah. So, so and, what happened to them? Did they get caught in the end, or no? So those two disappeared. Yeah, and they both, like, I should say, at least three of them all died in Russia. Okay. Yeah, but at different times. Yeah. So two of them, so Burgess and McLean, end up in Russia, and mm-hmm. they live quite colourful lives in and of themselves, or at least. McLean and Philby did. And then so Philby just loses all credibility. Yeah. Because everyone knows he's best mates. He's drinking buddies with Burgess. Yeah. And of course, his predecessor was one of his classmates from Cambridge. And suddenly it becomes. So Philby's basically asked by MI6. to to retire quietly. But even then, like, this is the absurdity of it, right? He gets called in for a bunch of interviews and very tough grilling. And they do a whole inquiry. Yeah. And the soon-to-be prime minister, but then at that time still foreign minister, uh, Harold Macmillan, goes to parliament and completely exonerates Kim Philby. Says, you know, after after all the inquiries made, mm-hmm. we're quite sure he didn't do anything wrong. Maybe it was a double agent. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, you could almost <laughs> get away with this this belief. And so he just goes back to being essentially a journalist again, which is kind of... It, it insane mm. until finally the evidence becomes overwhelming. So yeah. he's stuck in Beirut doing something, and it's it's implied that he's also doing a little bit of journalism and also still doing a bit a of little side business. You know, yeah, it's it's Britain in the Middle East. Why wouldn't you do a bit of other stuff in there? When one of his mates, and again, this is this is what I mean about all these breadcrumbs. It, it reflects something <laughs> about what the culture was like, and mm. this is why it's such great gripping stories, yeah. but also why you need to then create a James Bond, a James Bond to, <laughs> to kind of to clean yourself yeah. of this image. Because one of his mates stationed in Beirut, a guy called Nicholas Elliott, who who genuinely believed in his innocence, was asked to go and secure Philby's 
full confession, but not to arrest him, not to like mm. hold him with a gun and, and at, at gunpoint and say, "Mate, it's yeah, done." The, the game is up. It was yeah. just like, "Did you do it?" And and right there, Philby just admits to everything. Not not quite everything, okay. but he's just like, "Yep, yep, no, no, no. That's 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 about it." Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. I, I am definitely the guy. Okay, and yeah. and and from there, did, did he get so? Sort of this is where it just gets even better, right? Beheaded. So he says, like, okay, well, are you, are you? Do you do you mind signing like a statement saying yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. you're the guy? And he said, uh, can you come back tomorrow? So he can make his escape plan? Is that why? Um, you know, almost because it's all done on a gentleman's agreement. You shake the man's hand, yeah. you look him in the eye, and yeah. you say, oh yeah, tally ho, good chap. And suddenly that's enough. So yeah, he just kind of makes his escape. Makes his escape and he just disappears. Like this is 1962. This is like nearly nearly six, seven 60, years yeah. after after Burgess and McLean have, have disappeared yeah, and shown up again yeah. in in moscow wow that that's that's really enlightening i mm. had no idea mm. and here we are we see you know bond james bond you know always you know always uh having the right resources always catching the bad guys and always winning yeah <laughs> yeah but does he i mean maybe in his own way but i just think when it comes down to it, there's one way where you can look at this saying, hey, actually, British spies, at least they're double agents, mm. are actually pretty damn good, you know? They're, <laughs> they're very good spies. Yeah. But then when you look at the system, when you look at the broader situation, it's it's much clearer that they weren't very good at the, the core business of, you know, ke that. keeping things... Well, there's yeah. a new James Bond movie coming out, uh, yeah. No Time to Die, yeah, uh, where yeah. Dana Craig, and they're introducing a new 007, so she's not a... Well, that's the rumour. Yeah. That's no, the rumour. Yeah, it? I know. So in in the... Because I, I watched the um, shorts for it, and, you know, she's in it. Um, yeah, it's a she, actually. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how to pronounce her name probably, but Lashana Lynch. So mm -hmm. she's... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she's an african Ukian. Mm. <laughs> uh, she was also in Captain Marvel. Mm. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if you know if this is like a gentle introduction of a new genre mm. of you know empowering women mm -hmm. and empowering people of you know different ethnicity to yeah. to take on the role and probably be, be a little more competent. <laughs> well, looking, looking at the, the trailers, at some point she's like equipped with an automatic rifle yeah you know, like really licensed to kill scary stuff scary stuff and she yeah. doesn't want a piece of uh bond at all because no. apparently he cracks no. onto her and she's just like well, nah, nah not not happening i mean <laughs> the charm only goes so far i think as, as, as the case of the cambridge five in washington especially yeah. yeah i mean they went on tour in a sense shows you can't charm everybody with that kind of gentlemanly swagger or No, the first capacity. thing I think of is how many diseases do you have? <laughs> <laughs> STIs. Hmm. Mm, yeah. Questionable. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> you can buy me a drink, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's indicative and you know, if you'll permit me, I'll, I'll I'll switch sort of to my next story, which is it's indicative of where intelligence was mm -hmm. in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Very much there's you had this spectre of the Russians. They're so scary. Oh, they got do everything scary. Yeah. infiltrated. Oh, there's no, there's no it's doubt. KGB, yeah. <laughs> the Russians in a 
in a room yeah. are scary. I, I remember one of the most vivid memories I have of uh, uh, of living in London was watching the World Cup semi final in a pub filled with Russians. <laughs> Russian men, right? Well, no, Russian men and women, and oh. they were yelling Russia, Russia, oh, wow. and it was Drinking really. Vodka? No, thankfully there was mostly beer and, and other <laughs> substances, but it was just kind of. It was really terrifying because they were very, like, proud of the country and they yeah. were all kind of big people. Assertive, if yeah. not aggressive. Yeah, I mean, I, I ultimately Russia lost that game, but I, I had worried that if they'd won, it yeah. would have been a riot of sorts. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I, tell I, me about this Russian story. Yeah, so, so I mean, you, you mentioned the KGB as if they're this kind of scary, monolithic thing. Because um, Putin but, is part of that family. Well, that's family right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From what it, what, well, the KGB ultimately turned into the FSB when communism collapsed, All right. right? And so, yeah, and then arguably part of the FSB just turned into the Russian mafia. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> That's oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is not terribly controversial to say, but a lot of ex KGB FSB guys just turned into gangsters. Gangsters and spies. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and when you look at the structure of the modern mm. Russian state, yeah, you could you can see where the gangsterism really comes in because arguably that's what Putin is. You know, he's the most, <laughs> the world's most powerful, terrifying, wealthiest gangster. <laughs> Maybe it's that's that's why the president admires him so much. You know, he he's famously a big fan of the Godfather films, so he probably sees Putin and goes, "Oh, I want to be that guy." Mm. But I'm, I'm digressing, which is <laughs> okay. to say, the KGB has a very very sinister reputation, right? Because yes. for a really long time, especially in Eastern Europe, they had this capacity to do a lot of terrible stuff, mm. and they got away with certain things. I mean, there is a 1979 case of uh, a Bulgarian guy getting murdered with a very specifically created umbrella. Oh, I remember hearing about this. Ricin into yeah, someone, yeah. like, p- pierced the skin and, and killed a guy. Yeah, it way. rained today. I, I... <laughs> you started thinking about getting oh. ricin. Wow, wow, that's a dark thought. No, I didn't, Madame actually. <laughs> well, I, I, so I guess I just mean they, they have a reputation yeah. for being Sneaky. deeply, deeply... Well, that's right. Yeah. They've got tendrils everywhere. They yeah. can really mess you up if you're not careful. But again, Jimmy, it's be careful about... what you say right now. Oh, look, I'm, I think I'm the fact deeply, that you already mentioned like deeply, Putin. deeply careful. <laughs> yes. No, 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 no. All hail the motherland. Uh, I, I guess it's just another reflection of the reality is a lot more mundane, and fundamentally, it's just not that impressive like bond james bond that's exactly movies. right exactly right i mean because more often than not these well what we consider spies are paper pushes yeah yeah though that's true but even the field agents that you you mentioned earlier quotation marks as you say because that. the truth is like the russian state it, it commits assassinations right it it pushes people off buildings suddenly people come to a very nasty or disappear yeah 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 <laughs> or they end up you know, killing themselves in a locked room, apparently. You know, these kinds of okay. really odd things yeah. happen. But that's not necessarily because the operatives are the most sleek and most uh, well-travelled and, and really, really impressive types. Okay. If, if anything... So the example I'm going to use is is 
probably actually kind of famous because you might remember a few years ago there was a Russian guy uh, called Alexander Litvinenko who who was poisoned by drinking something radioactive in in uh, Russia. This would have been of, yeah, yeah yeah this would have been is that the one where his daughter they were trying to get his daughter as well no oh, see, so that was an one. even recent okay. one yeah, right? okay, yeah which I mean is its own story of incompetence too because they left the nerve agent <laughs> just lying around in a perfume bottle but I digress because the story I really want to talk about is is what happened in two thousand and six with Alexander Litvinenko who was essentially just an ex spy mm. for the Russian government mm. who reported he, he basically blew the whistle on mm. some dodgy stuff happening under Putin mm-hmm. and then he basically had to get out of the country mm-hmm. you know because terrifying so he, he landed up in he landed in in London as mm-hmm. so many Russian exiles do mm. closer because, than Australia that's true but also because no one really asks too many questions in London okay yeah. oh it mm-hmm. seems like that yeah <laughs> from the examples you've given me <laughs> yes and so what what happened there was Oh, it's it's not that he was ever off the kill list, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Russian state sent guys after him, guys who ostensibly wanted to help him fight Putin. You know, they made mm. overtures saying, no, 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 we agree with you. Uh, let's get to meetings. Uh, but would you really mind drinking this tea? Please, we really <laughs> insist that you drink this tea. So, I mean, on paper, it sounds like a ridiculous... Oh, Jimmy, do you want some tea? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. Just don't show me how you prepare it. That would be really great. But so so the facts of the death are really important on yeah. this one, which is kind of odd, right? Because essentially what happened to Alexander Litvinenko is he was definitely poisoned by a substance called polonium-210, which is this crazy, yeah. crazy radioactive substance. Oh, dear. To give you an idea, one gram of the stuff is enough to kill 50 million people. Right. How many grams did they give him? Well, it's not really clear, <laughs> yeah. but they definitely gave him... A lot. More than enough to kill one person, put it okay. that way. And this is so really nasty how, stuff. How did they kill more than one person? Well, they, they only did kill one person, him, right. in the end, but... they. <laughs> From a, a number of attempts, it should be said. Okay. So, so essentially, this stuff is really, really nasty. Uh-huh. But the only way it can really harm you is if you swallow it. You have to swallow it. Okay, because... so if you touch it, it's fine. Yeah, it doesn't actually permeate skin. Uh-huh. It, it sends out a kind of radiation called alpha radiation, alpha, beta, and gamma, if you know I have anything. no idea. Yeah, anyway. no, I don't know much about it either, <laughs> but it's just essentially... I'm told a piece of paper would be enough to block the radiation, alpha oh. radiation. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you, you can't... It's so really touching it doesn't do anything. No, yeah. but it leaves a trace everywhere. It's very, okay. very messy because it's radiation. You don't yeah. see it, so if you accidentally handle it, you're going to be covered in this stuff yeah. and it's just going to be lying on your skin. And it's got a very kind of short relatively for a radioactive substance short half-life okay it's like 130 something days or, or something like that it's pretty so, long to me yeah yeah well it is but when you consider that a lot of radioactive products have mm. half-lives of thousands mm. of years it, it's considered to be okay not too bad so, so what but happened it's, it's the kind of it's kind of product i just yeah. want to say yeah very hard to come by okay accidentally okay like something Has like pre-manufactured exactly. somewhere. Exactly. Something like 95% yeah. of the entire world's supply of polonium, yeah. 210, comes from Russia. I feel not very safe now, but anyway. Okay, okay. <laughs> just, just so you know that. Just don't uh, accept any 
meetings with Russian <laughs> men, I suppose. <laughs> so what happened was essentially is, is this kind of ridiculous story because these, these two guys, let, let me just get their names right because they are kind of odd. Because if you don't get their names right, they're going to come after you, Yeah, Jimmy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the one guy called uh, Andre Lugovoy, who was a former KGB FSB mm. agent, and his compatriot Dmitry Kovtun. Mm-hmm. And if you ever see these guys... On the photo, they they look like Russian gangsters. You know, they've got the gold chains. Yep. They've got the kind shaped of shaped head. Kind well, kind very of, cropped yeah. hair. They they fur jacket, leather jackets. Ooh. You know, you know the tight muscle yeah, tops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, very much. If if you wanted central casting of tough Russian yeah, men, yeah. these would be your guys. And so they were ostensibly there just on a mission to, mm. to assassinate this man, mm. but they just weren't terribly sophisticated about it at all. Were they drunk majority of the time? Well, okay, so, I mean, it's not that far from the truth because they actually made more than one attempt to get rid of Litvinenko. Oh, God, okay. In fact, by the time they actually finally got him... Yeah. Which is the, how they got him is is fairly straightforward. Tea. They had yeah. a cup of tea at a very swanky restaurant in Mayfair. Yeah. Uh, not restaurant, a uh, hotel yeah. lobby. He drank the tea... Then they went to see a, a football game. Okay. Well, and then, like, a day later, he was very, very sick. <laughs> yeah. Went to hospital. They did some tests. The hilarious thing was they went to the one hospital in London that has a very strong uh, nuclear practice. You know, because you use a lot of nuclear products for x-rays okay, and yeah. for okay. uh, other scans, right? Mm. But this just happened to be the one hospital <laughs> that he went to that thought, hey, we should probably check for polonium. <laughs> and they worked it out. It's like, oh, this guy, he's definitely been poisoned with polonium. Okay. And he died a horrible, horrible death. I don't oh, want to laugh about Internal bleeding, that. I'm sure. Or... Well, I mean, just the radiation ate him up. It just yeah. like, dissolved all his cells. Ooh, oh, God, okay. But let me get back to yep. Lugovoy and Kovtun, because they actually made their three different attempts to poison him. <laughs> so on one attempt, they had rocked up and they actually aborted the mission and tr- and tried to pour the polonium down the sink of the t- of the hotel toilet. Okay. So it's just kind of they didn't even make an attempt to hide the fact that they were holding this ultra rare substance. Yeah. And they thought, yeah, radioactive substances. How do we get rid of it? Let's pour it down. But why do they have to get rid of it? <laughs> That's a fairly good question. This is in and of itself, this right? This is kind of like out of the interview, the movie interview. Exactly, exactly. With, with, oh, we can talk about that later. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it is this kind of comedy. Because the second time they tried to do it, they actually, before they met up with Litvinenko, they went out on the town. So they took a rickshaw ride around Soho, which is kind of the red light district of London. Then they went to... Uh, Kind of, you know... A prostitution place to Well, not quite it. a brothel, <laughs> but a, a hostess bar mm-hmm. called Hey Joe, where they tried to pull some girls, and they were not successful at all. <laughs> but essentially, uh, yeah, they, they, they tried to get some female company. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they just weren't being subtle about this. Okay. They there. And so the finally, when they finally got to this third attempt... They had to butter up Litvinenko really, really carefully. Yeah, they yeah. went out shopping at Harrods with Litvinenko. And paid for all his stuff, I'm well, assuming. Well, no, they bought their own stuff, but they yeah. were just, you know, wearing clothes that they... They ultimately 
bought these clothes and then the next day when the assassination was on they wore the clothes that they got from harrods mm. uh the the guy uh Lugavoy, who was uh the the, the major leader on, on this two-man team of geniuses mm. he was wearing a fifty thousand dollar watch mm. which you like to point out mm. going you know how much this watch costs yeah, like, yeah. yeah so these guys are just not being subtle at, at all. all completely and the opposite of an english spy right <laughs> although arguably uh being shot in the head with a walter ppk isn't terribly subtle either mm, i don't even know what that is anyway <laughs> well it's james bond's oh okay gun, all right all right you know? okay and so like they they went to business meetings yeah and at, at one of these uh Lugavoy rocked up with shopping bags and then just kind of really awkwardly steered the conversation to the topic of tea and he suggested you know what we should all drink tea it's a vodka yeah because you know that's what english people do oh, and now that we're that in england oh, we yes. should drink tea and he was weirdly persistent about this it's like they kept on saying to to the business yeah. guy they meant not not Livanenko, don't you want any won't you have some tea <laughs> why are you so obsessed with tea <laughs> exactly exactly and so when the forensic evidence looked looked back at this meeting yeah. at, at the, the this uh, consultancy they found huge amounts of polonium yeah oh, <laughs> just God. on that like coffee table, table and the well. teacups and everything well yeah 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 because yeah, no one drank the tea and ultimately they took Lutvenenka to a hotel and he finally drank some tea and <sighs> soon after he, he was dead Diagnosed, but yeah. I mean What's staggering about this, and I think that... Oh, actually, no. No, I haven't even finished yet. Which was, when you look at the, the trail of polonium radiation, mm. it was everywhere. It's on a shisha pipe that Lugavoy had smoked while he was visiting London, on the door to the gents at the hostess bar. Because he was touching it yeah. the whole time. It was in the hotel room, on the, uh, on the carpet, on the telephone directory... It was like this fog oh, of God. polonium radiation everywhere. It was found inside the dishwasher, on the floor, at the hotel where they ultimately got him the till, the handle of a coffee strainer. There were traces of it on the martini bottle, the Tia Maria behind the bar, oh an ice God. cream scoop, chopping board, piano stool, everywhere. <laughs> ultimately, when, when the inquiry yeah, yeah, yeah. initiated by um, the, the Cameron government, they found... They looked at 720 locations where they could find polonium. And I stress again, super rare substance, yeah. very hard to get access to. And they touched it everywhere. Yeah, yeah. To the point that there are reports, and you can't confirm that because, again, it's Russia. Yeah. Information's kind of hard to corroborate. To the point that when uh, Lugavoy uh, and uh, his compatriot went back to Russia, uh -huh. they had to be treated for... Polonium, because yeah. <laughs> they'd just been like touching it all the place, playing with this stuff so much. I mean, surely it came in like what, a tube or something, so you would only you would need to so. access it when you have tea in front of you. Well, right? yeah, yeah. You'd think if if. I mean, this just completely reminds me of that um, movie, the interview with Seth Rogen and James Franco. Have exactly, you seen it? Exactly. Yeah, with these two, you know, they, they weren't 
but the, in in their character they weren't professionals they were like um what in the tv media world doing their own tv show and then they get hired by the cia it's like we want you to take out yeah. the north korean leader exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so and yeah and they stuff it up right exactly because they they shake each other's hands or something like that and, or, or, or yeah and then they accidentally um one of the guards eat it because he's like oh it's gum and so the yeah 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 and yeah, then has right, a very violent right. death yeah exactly <laughs> uh, <laughs> It was that's, that's entirely like <laughs> quite true. <laughs> plausible. Yeah. If if you've got spies this good, you know, <laughs> when you're when you're working with, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't even be joking about this. I'm I'm probably on the kill list now. But broadly speaking, when you're when you're dealing with certain members of Russian intelligence, maybe it, maybe just these two were a special case. Mm, <laughs> but they were the ones who were tasked with this especially delicate <laughs> task of assassinating another person. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, interesting that you mentioned this because um, when you mentioned that you were going to come on and talk about uh, spy fuck-ups, I did a bit of research. Apparently, in Australia right now, there is a spy espionage in Australia exhibition. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so it's starting off um, at the National Archive National Office in Canberra and oh, it goes yeah. on to two, uh, 2023. And what you can do here is like you can – it's like a show and tell. Mm -hmm. So they have a collection mm -hmm. of all these uh, personal experiences from Australian secrets good agents <laughs> <laughs> wow. i know and the curious history of espionage yeah, yeah. <laughs> and counter espionage in australia um and they also have um things that you can touch and play with as well mm. in the in the let's hope there's business. no polonium oh okay, hopefully no. there isn't yeah hopefully they would have you know at least you know cleaned it yeah and yeah. the best thing is you can test your skills at code breaking and reading invisible ink yeah yeah. And, and it's all free. Well, see, that, that's proper <laughs> tradecraft, I think. At the end of the day, that, that would be both less exciting and more realistic. Instead of being work. James Bond. Maybe they will have a section about James. Yeah, yeah. Well, instead of, you know, trading state secrets to the Russians or trying <laughs> to force people to drink tea. Or they'll know. have, like, maybe a virtual gun where you can try and shoot the bad guys or something yeah, and yeah, see what yeah. your account rate's like. I, I have to imagine... Very few spies would actually do well with that because uh, <laughs> I'm not sure they insist on having a great shot these days. <laughs> well, so, it, you know, if you're in Canberra and you're a fan of all this uh, spy stuff, like by Jimmy Byers. Mm. Um, it, it's going on uh, till I think uh, I think middle of this year in Canberra. Yep. And then they're off to WA till 2021. Oh, it's Qu a moving. It's a moving exhibition. exhibition. Great. Yeah. And then to Queensland 2022, South Australia till I think um, first month in 2023. <clears throat> so I'm guessing by Jimmy By you'll be going to this. Wow, yeah. At Maybe. any given opportunity, right? Wow. Let's see what the reviews are like. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the review is like as well. <laughs> just as a rule, even though it's my hometown, I just don't spend that much time in Canberra. Well, now you got something to do if you're yeah, bored. Yeah, for an now hour. I have a reason. Yeah, none of this uh, <laughs> seeing my parents or anything like that. God no, huh? I'm there to go to the National Archives. Guys, that's oh. right. And maybe drink some tea. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
Oh, thank you very much, Jimmy, for your time today and for giving Anytime. me such such a funny uh, account of history. Yeah, yeah. Happy to happy to join you, Madam Chan, and would love to tell you more silly stories. Oh, absolutely. We're all about silliness here. You know, we're fighting boring news about Asia and Australia, so mm -hmm. this definitely counts as one. Excellent. <laughs> thank you, and bag rat out. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For the latest updates and posts, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you love it as much as Captain Bagrat and I do, uh, please support us on Patreon, where we hope that our dream of having our own TV show will become a reality one day. So then we can continue to fight boring news on everything, anything, and nothing with an Asian twist. Thanks for your support. Bagrat out. Solid.